got an email from a, a, a lady, this, uh, one of my professor's wives that um, we keep in contact with. She's a, a sweet older lady. She, she sent me an email that there were uh, two different occasions. Both broke the same arm. One was seen right away, um, got x-rays, and um, got, got, got operated on within a few hours. The other was, had a wait to be seen, and then when they were seen, they had to wait um, for two months to see a specialist. After that, the specialist saw them, and then they, they scheduled a, surg- a surgery a few months later, and then they had the surgery about five to six months after they broke the arm. Right, what are the difference between the two? One was a golden retriever. The other was a senior citizen. <laughs> That's where we're headed with our medical stuff. Pretty sobering, right? When you think about it, huh? I don't know how people send me these emails. That's not a joke. It's a true one there, Crystal. Seriously? Why is a dog? They can heal themselves. Crystal, you got no lines. Just nod. All right, there we go. Okay. I'm kidding. 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 I'm Look at this. We're going to the text here. Forget about the illustration. We're back in the... Hello, everyone. All right, open up the Revelation chapter 3. We'll get back to... This is interesting here. Look at this. Becoming a Great Commission church. 51%, somebody did a study here, 51% of churchgoers have never heard of the Great Commission. Uh. All right, Think about this for a moment. 51% don't even understand the very last words of Jesus here on this earth. And then, not only that, 25% of churchgoers have heard of it, but don't know exactly what it is or how to do it. And so, 51% don't understand it. 20, 25%, they, they may have heard of it, but they don't. They don't really know exactly what it, what, how, to, how to do the Great Commission, what it's all about. Did you know in the Bible there are five Great Commissions, not just one? There are five of them. It's, there's found a Great Commission in Matthew. There's a Great Commission in Mark. There's in Luke and John and even in Acts. There's a Great Commission as well. But we don't understand what it is. And really, here's the problem. We come to church and we come to sit and to get but we forget really what God would have of our lives. And re- how do you know whether you're one of those people? Well, look at this. The difference is between ministry consumers and ministry contributors. This is really good by my good friend, Robbie. I've never met him. Look at this. He writes this. He goes, consumers are spectators. Contributors are what? Participants. And, you know, this started, I, I was an altar boy for years, and this started years ago, years, hundreds of years ago, when, when it would be the priests that would do everything, and the, the, the clergy, the people, the, the, the priests would do everything, but the people in the congregation would do nothing. And they would just sit and watch the show. 
And that's what church has become. Church has become a, I just sit here, get a little bit, and then I'm out of here. I'm, I'm done. You're not really participating like God would want us to participate. Look at this one. Consumers see themselves as cisterns to store truth. Contributors see themselves as channels to bestow what? Blessings. And, and, and here's the difference. Either we are like the Jordan River or we are like the Dead Sea. The Jordan River flows north and south and it's got a lot of life and it's active. The Dead Sea has no outlets. And so it's dead. And a lot of believers, they store the truth, but they don't share the truth with other people. And we are here to share. Let me just tell you something. Every time you have your devotions, every time we hear a sermon, every time we listen to something on the radio that's, that's spiritually good, we are to share that with other people, not just store it. My mother, when she hears a sermon, she calls up her friend. She says, hey, hey, you got to hear it. You got to do this. You gotta... She talks about it. She shares it. We're not just here to hear. We're here to share. And look at this one. This is really convicting. A consumer criticizes everything that doesn't line up with his or her preferences. But a contributor appreciates what God is doing in the church. A consumer just sitting there, it's easy to criticize. But when you get in the game, it's hard to criticize. When you're just sitting on the outside, we have a coach one of the coaches on the baseball team, one of the parents started barking at him, you know, hey, you guys, you don't know what you're doing and everything. You know what he said to him? Why don't you come out here and help us instead of sitting there and criticizing us? And a lot of churches, we have those people with the gift of constructive criticism, amen? And they see everything that is wrong. And they tell you about it. This was wrong, and that was wrong, and this was wrong. So what are you doing to help? Well, I, you know, that's your job. We pay you the big bucks. This is wrong, and that is wrong. No, join the game. Contributor appreciates what God is doing because they're in the game. And really, when we look at this church, God is going to tell them, don't be consumers, be contributors. In fact, our time is short. And, he, and I love this church at Philadelphia because really the, the church, the brotherly love church, the, not the Philadelphia that we know, but the, the brotherly love, we don't know much about this city other than that it was a small city. It was a strategic city. It was, it was called the gateway to the east. It was a missionary city. A lot of people would pass through, so they had a lot of opportunities to share Christ with people. Christ looks at him and he says, I am the one that is holy. I am the one that is separate from sin. I am the one that is true. I am genuine. I am sincere. He's saying here, you can trust in me. He is the one, look at this, who has the key of David. I love that phrase. He has the key of David. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, under King Hezekiah, there was a key that he gave to one of his servants to his house. And only this servant could let people in and have entrance to the king and have entrance to the blessings of the house. He had the key. Here's what Jesus is saying. I have the key to spiritual blessings. No one can enter into heaven except through Jesus Christ. He is the key. And when he opens up for us to do something, no one will ever shut it. And when he shuts the door, guess what? No one will ever open. This is comforting verse. 
Although at times when those shut doors come, we cry. We wonder, is God toying with us? The door opens for a little bit. We go after it and all of a sudden then the door shuts. But let me just tell you something. God is not shutting doors to frustrate us. He shuts doors to open up other ones for us. And there are times when our hearts break. But there's a purpose in every move he makes. And this verse is wonderful when we think about that. He has the key of David. He is able to open up opportunities for us. And when he opens them up, no one will ever shut them. And when he shuts the door, no matter how hard we try and kick and scream, no one can open it up. I remember when I was looking to see what God had for me, and I got an email from my pastor in New York City. Here I was in college, and my pastor in New York City writes me, and he goes, guess what, Jeremy? We voted for you. You're going to be our next pastor. I said, I'm glad you consulted God. I haven't heard anything from God yet, but that's... So I go out there. I'm going to be their next pastor. And I preach on a Sunday, and the next week I have to tell them that I'm going to be their next pastor. That Saturday I got some news that God shut the door, I get before them and I tell the church, you know what? I'm not going to be your next pastor. I don't know what God has for my life. Why? Well, I was crying. He shut the door. I am so thankful he shut that door. Because then he opened up another door and her name was Katie. The best door he ever opened in my life other than salvation. God knows what he's doing. He's the one that has the key who opens. He's the one that will shut. And look what he says to this church. He says, look, he says, I have an open door before you. You have an opportunity to minister and to make an impact. And what he's saying to this church is, you may not understand this. You, you, you're a church in a strategic place where people are going through and you don't understand. You have an open door to do something for the kingdom. I have put an open door. This is perfect tense. No one's going to shut this door. It is a door of opportunity, a door that you need to go through. Now, notice this. When we look at the Bible and open doors, people think of open doors in different ways. But look, when the Bible, when you see open door, it's talking about ministering the gospel to others. For a wide door for effective service has been opened to me, Paul says. I got a wide door for active service to make an impact for others. But guess what? There are many what? Sometimes people say, yeah, I may have an open door, but that's a tough door to go through. Well, you know what? That may be God's door to go through. He says, here is an open door, but the open door doesn't mean we're not going to have people who are against it. Of course there is. The enemy's not going to be happy, but he says, I got an open door before you. You have an opportunity to make an impact and share Christ with people. Go through it. Do something with it. Don't just sit there. Now, here's our response when God opens a door. We start to look at ourselves and we say, well, you know what? I'm not the strongest person in the world. I could never go through that door. Watch this text. This is beautiful. He goes, he who is holy, who is who is true in verse 7, the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and, and no one opens. He says this, I know your deeds. I have put an open door before you that no one can shut. You have this open opportunity, but you have what? Little power. Notice this here. 
The first thing we need to do is depend upon God's power. You have, look at this, little power. And what he is saying is this church was not a very big church. They were a small church. They, were, they didn't have many people. They didn't have much influence on the society. They didn't have much. They weren't this great big mega church that God says, I put an open jar that you could just go right through it. They were of a, a little power. But let me tell you this. Nowhere in these seven churches does God ever mention numbers. He never says, you guys are an amazing church because you have 3,000 coming this week. He never says, you're a bad church because you have 30 people coming this week. What he does say is, you have a little power, but guess what? God has all the power we need to witness and do what he wants. Don't allow size to limit our vision. Don't allow the, the, uh, what we can do in our own flesh limit what God can do through us and to us. This is a church that's not very significant in size, but they are in the impact that they are going to have in the society. He says, you know what? I'm bringing people before you and you have an opportunity even though you're not that big. I love that. I look at, at Webster Elementary School. Do you know that where we live right now in Lorison Ranch, that across the street they're building like three to 400 homes? Do you know where they're sending those kids to school? They're going to send them to Webster Elementary. God is bringing them where? To us. You say, well, well, we're just a small church. What can we do? You're right. We can do nothing. Let's just close tomorrow. We can do a lot. We can reach out to the families. We can continue to give those Thanksgiving baskets. We can continue to have the soccer camps, the VBSs, you name it. With God's, we can continue to reach out in the crib. We can continue to make an impact. And he says here, you may have little power. You may not be big in number, but I've given you an opportunity to do something for the kingdom. Let's go through it. And I see God doing that right here in our midst. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. You mean the people down there, they're coming over here. Yeah, that's why they have to build. He says, you have little power. He says, another thing that you are, you've kept my word. We need to stay faithful to God's word. You have kept my word. Jesus said it very clear. If you love me, guess what you ought to do? Keep the word. Do you know how a pastor tells you he loves you? You ready for this? He opens up the Bible and he teaches you and preaches you the Bible. Amen. We stay faithful to what? His word. Yes. Even though it may not be great and all this, we'll stay faithful to his word. We say we love you through preaching and teaching the word. We stay faithful to the word. He says, you got little power. You got a great door. You've kept my word. You love me because you're doing my word. And not only that, you have not denied my name. We need to identify with Christ no matter where we are. We he have not denied my name. In other words, even though the pressure was on, even though there was a lot of pressure to deny Christ and not identify with Christ, they identified with Christ everywhere they went. 
I never forget what one pastor said. Everywhere you go, the first thing that people should know about you is you're a Christian. First thing. You go over here, they know you're a Christian. You go over there, they know you're You identify with Christ everywhere you are. They have not denied his name. So he says here, you could be a great commission church. I've given you an open door. You have little power. That, so what? doesn't matter about the... You've kept the word. Keep the word. You've not denied the name. And look at the rewards for being a church like this. This is amazing here in verse 9. There will be a reversal of fortune one day. Watch this. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not. And we've talked about that in the past. We know what that means. These are people who are physically Jews, but they're not spiritually Jewish people. They're lying. He's, look what he says. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Here's what he's saying. There is going to come a time when those who are in opposition, those who hate believers, those who want nothing to do with God, there is going to come a time when something's going to happen in their hearts and they are going to receive Christ. You say, when is that going to happen? Look at this in Isaiah. This is an incredible passage. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. Can you imagine this? And all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet. And they will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, behold, I've given an open door before you. And there are Jewish people who are going to oppose you. But they're going to see your lives. They're going to understand that you've kept my word. That you not have denied my name. And one day those same people that are causing you problems will come to Jesus Christ. Wow, there's nothing more exciting than that. There's nothing more exciting than hearing somebody say, you know what, I don't believe in what you're saying. I think it's a bunch of garbage what you, what you believe. And then you see them come to Christ and their lives change. There is nothing more exciting than that. I remember what Josh McDowell once said. He said he used to think that Christian had two brains. Ready for this? One that was lost and the other one that was looking for the one that was lost. <laughs> He called Christians walking idiots. Isn't it this? You know why? Because Josh McDowell, when he was 11 years old, was abused by his father. He hated God and everything to do with God. He hated his father. And here he is. Imagine this. He's a bunch of, bunch of students and he tells them, you guys are just, you're, you're full of it. There's a bunch of garbage, all this. And all of a sudden, they go like this to him. You do us a favor. We challenge you to do a favor. You study the claims of Christ and you see if whether or not they were true or not. And guess what Josh McDowell did? He started to study the claims of Christ and he came to Christ. Amen. You say, you know what? I just don't see that. Don't worry. One day it will happen. And they know when this is going to happen. When are the Jewish people going to make a turn and really love Jesus? When are the Jewish people going to do that? Well, they know that there's a time coming on the earth called the tribulation period where God will, will put tribulation on this earth like never before, where people will suffer like never before. And if we think COVID was bad, we don't know any. The tribulation, there's going to be people dying, that the world's going to be changed. It's going to be an amazing time like never before on this earth. They know about that. 
And so they're like, uh-oh, wait a minute. If this is going to happen, we're going to bow down on our feet. We want to be out of here before that happens. Guess what he says in the next verse? He says, I'm going to remove you before the great tribulation. This is an amazing verse of scripture. Look at this. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you. And notice the word. What's the word? From. Now, I love those small little words, don't you? Because New Yorkers don't know how to say big words. I like small <laughs> words. I need two letters. Everything's two syllables in New York. Saturday, you know, Antony. You know, they're all two, two syllables here. But look, look at this here. From. I love that word from. You say, Jeremy, why do you like it? Why do you like the word from? Look at this. There's three Greek prepositions. I'm going to teach you a little Greek here for a moment. There's that little word N in the Greek, which means in. I'll keep you in it. I'll keep you in it. I'll, I'll keep you there, through it. Which, if you study tribulations, a lot of believers die through it. So it's not really a... But you look at this next word. It's the word ek. That means keep you from entering. Guess what he says here? There is, going back to that verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you, and we can put it this way, from entering into the hour of testing. Praise God. That hour which is about to come upon the world. Oh, believe me. All the unbelievers are going to face this. It comes upon whether unbelieving Jew, unbelieving Gentile. They're all going to face this. It's coming upon the world to test who? Those who dwell on the earth. There is a time that is coming. That believe me, you don't want to be here during that time. Where you think it's scary that 1% of the world is dying. Imagine if one third of the world dies in front of you. When you can't go and buy things and, and then prices, and you think inflation is bad now, where inflation is tremendous, you can't even go in and buy those things where you will need a mark of a beast to be able to shop. People say, yeah, I can, I'll go through that. I'll be fine through that. No, you won't. And he says, don't worry, I will keep you from that. But it's coming. And it's coming upon the whole world. And it's coming upon those who dwell on the earth. So here's what he says. Look at this. I am coming quickly. We don't know when that's going to happen. We pray for it. We ask God for it to happen right away. But do we really want it to happen? There's a lot of people that are going to go through this pain. Here's what he says. I want you to hold fast what you have. And here's why. So that no one will take your what? Now, he's not talking about us losing our salvation. What he is talking about is losing our reward. You know what he's saying here? It doesn't matter how we start the Christian life. It matters how we finish it. And I'm here to tell you, I've seen a lot of people start well and finish horrible. God help us. Even one of my good friends just this week was asked to resign his position. He shut down his social media. He shut his phone off. I don't know what happened now. Here's a guy that was the head of over a thousand churches. 
Here's a guy that was preaching in different churches around the world and going around and just helping out different churches. Here's a guy that people would go to when they would have problems. And now, he's done. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Look what John says here when he wrote. Look at 2 John 8. He says, watch yourselves. That you don't lose what you've accomplished but that you may receive what? A full reward. He says, behold, I've, I've laid an open door in front of you. You need to go through that door. It's not how you start. And don't make the excuses. You're, you're little in power. Don't make the, you've kept my word. You've identified yourself. You need to go through that open door. Do something for Jesus. Don't just be a consumer sitting and doing nothing. Contribute to his kingdom. And look at this. Watch out. That you don't lose the full reward. Because here's the problem. We can get so excited about serving God and so excited about preaching the gospel that we neglect our own personal lives. In our own personal walk with Christ. And we can be experts in telling other people what they need to do instead of sitting before the feet of Jesus and asking, what do you want me to do? And then there becomes this disconnect between who we're saying we are and who we really are. And that's not God's will. Watch yourselves. That you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may have your full reward. Look at what heaven's going to be like. He notices here in verse 12. He says, He who overcomes, I'll make him to be a pillar in the temple of my God. There's going to be stability there. A temple has stability there. There's not going to be any more disruption. You're going to be, you, and he's not going to go out any, from it anymore. Look at this here. I'm going to write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and, and New Jerusalem, which comes out of heaven from my God and my new name. So in heaven, we're going to have the very name of God. And what that means is, is the possession. We're going to be God's possession forever and ever. So what does he want us to do? He's saying, Whitefield Community Church, you have an open door. And when I open it, guess what? No one can shut it. Now the question is, are you going to be a consumer or are you going to be a contributor? Are you going to sit there and say, oh, look, there's an open door. Wow, it's so they were going to preach the gospel. We're just going to let the leadership do that. Or are we going to all be involved in preaching Christ to those around us. Are we going to say, well, you know what? We're just not a big church, so we really can't do anything for the kingdom of God. No, no. Let God do things that only He can through the very power of the gospel of Christ. But what He wants us to do is keep His word. What He wants us to do is identify with the Son. And He will take care of the rest and isn't it amazing? Doesn't it excite you when you meet people that hate Jesus and then all of a sudden, now they love Jesus? You say, I've never met anyone like that. Well, look in the mirror. That was you. Nobody's born loving Jesus. But yet, because God put someone in our lives, now we do love Jesus because of the power of the gospel. So praise God for the opportunities that we have before us. And I want to encourage us with this thing to ponder. 
Oswald Smith wrote, Any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited the biblical right to exist. Let me put it this way. If every one of us is not praying for and trying to look for opportunities to share Christ with others, why do we even exist? What are we living for? There are not people in our lives that were praying, God, would you just help me to be able to share Christ with an opportunity? What, what, what are we doing? We're just sitting here listening to messages. We're just going through the motion, having our devotion. We're just me and Jesus and no more. God has put an open door. And so we ought to be taking this serious. And I thank the Lord. Our church does take this serious. But not all of us. We need to all be involved in this. Not just some. All of us. Everyone that claims the name of Christ ought to be committed to making disciples. And you say, but I don't have much power. God has the power. We have the message. We preach the message. He works in lives. We pray to preach the message. He opens up doors. And let me tell you, when he opens, no one shuts. But when he shuts, guess what? No one opens. Because there is going to come a moment when he is going to shut that door and we are going to have the opportunity to do what he wants us to do here on the earth. So let's not wait for that. Let's take advantage of it and do it now. Now, while we have an opportunity. Maya, would you go grab the kids? Let's bow in prayer. And get our hearts ready for the Lord's Supper here. Father God, thank you so much for the open door that you've placed right here in Widefield. You're bringing the people to us. And now all these families that are moving here that we don't even know who they are or when they're going to actually come. Those that have children that are elementary age will be bringing their children right next to us. What an amazing opportunity we have. You have put an open door. God, I pray that each one here would make a commitment in their heart to you and say, Lord, would you use me to share the gospel with other people? To be committed to being a great commissioned Christian. Someone who cares for souls. Not caught up in my own world, just listening to messages and reading the Bible and thanking you for the material things of this earth that will never last. But asking you to use us to help others move closer to you. Thank you so much for those that have been committed to that. And Father, I pray that everyone would be that we would stop making the excuses. That, Lord, that we would search our hearts because we serve a missionary God. You sent your Son 
He came here to seek and save those that were lost. So help that to be our heart as well. We all know people in our lives that don't know you. Help us to have the courage, the wisdom, and the strength to reach out to them. Thank you that you're a God of open doors. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we now do the...